Hey, Brando. Jamesy. Nice mug. Old you like Jamesy. that mug? This is my very nautical. It's anchors away, my man. Anchors away, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Patty and I got these actually when we were down in Cedar Key, Florida. Oh, nice. I got the the navy blue one with the white anchors. She has the white one with the navy blue anchors. How cute! They're very <laughs> nautical. They're very nautically. They do look pretty nautical. And uh, they're they're very like Abyss Coffee Co. E. But they're not from Abyss Coffee Co. Although good old Angie over there, she does have some new coffee mugs. Oh, really? She's got those really cool ceramicy ones that you and I were looking at doing for Great Dive Podcast a while ago. Well, that's the that's the coffee mug you want right there. But yeah, hey people, don't forget when you're checking out your morning episode of the Great Dive Podcast, make sure you're brewing yourself a little cup of Abyss Coffee Co. Coffee. And today's special blend is brought to you by the Hydra Blend. The Hydra. It's a delicious roast with hints of vanilla. And a strawberry aroma. Sounds delicious. I haven't had the Hydra. Get over there to theabyscoffeeco.com. And if you haven't yet, check out these bags of coffee, man. These bags are so cool. Yeah, I like that. I see the Great Lakes uh, Responsibility Roast. Yeah, that was the, the first one I got. Yeah. They've all been pretty good, but definitely Michigan's number one nautical coffee. So get over there, the Abyss Coffee Co., and put in your code TGDP and get yourself some good goddamn Great Lakes coffee. (laughs) You're pretty uh, angry about this goddamn coffee. No, I'm not (laughs) angry. I'm just saying, you know, uh, old Angie's, uh, you know, a a hardworking young lady with a really cool coffee company that uh, every diver is going to enjoy. I mean, if you like scuba and hard hat divers and that whole feel i like that nautical marine feel exactly you know i just gotta be around it yes and that's why abyss coffee company really fits the bill for divers like me and speaking of cool nautical chicks like angie over at abyss I got another cool chick for you today, Brando. <laughs> what do you got, like, segues on the mind here? You're like segue to segue to segue. That's how I roll. Oh, you got... damn. And there's no better time to talk about a cool scuba chick than while we're prepping for, you know, tomorrow is International Woman Diver Day. Nice. Is it is it politically correct to refer to them as chicks still? Chick diving? Yeah. Who cares? I grew up in the 80s, man. I'm fucking sick of PC. You know that. You know that. So who cares if it's politically correct? Our heart's in the right place. Chick divers. Damn right. My heart is in the right place on this one. And we've been talking about doing something cool about this woman diver for years now. Well, that's, that's because I think you have a secret crush. How can you not? She's one of the hottest babes in scuba ever. Hot scuba babes. When you think of hot scuba babes, this is what should come up. Boom. Oh, no doubt about it. The first scuba sex symbol. For men. For heterosexual men. Because maybe there were other, you know, Jacques Cousteau. 
was maybe a scuba sex symbol for I mean for he's not lady. he's not my scuba sex symbol, but he's a scuba sex symbol for people that are attracted to us scuba god type people. Scuba gods, if you will, right? And this this gal was a scuba goddess, no doubt about it. Well, she kind of uh, blazed the trail for scuba women uh, on the big screen. And little screen, too. I mean, TV's really yeah. the little screen, isn't it? Yeah, It is. TV and movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not only that, but manufacturing. She w- was in the industry. Yeah, she's uh, looking looking over her, her history. It was uh, varied areas that she was con- working with. In the diving world, the Douglas Aircraft Company she worked for, right, uh, pioneering uh, the diving and scientific work. Sports Illustrated magazine. She was an underwater tester back in the day too. This was in the fifties, right? Where not you know they didn't just send out equipment for any Yahoo to test it out. Uh, they only gave it to the big wigs of diving, if you will. Yeah, and we are talking about, of course, the wonderful, lovely Zale Perry. You know, she was compared in the day to the sirens to of the, to the beautiful, also very beautiful, gorgeous Madonna star. Grace Kelly. Oh, yeah. Oh, I believe it. Another gorgeous American actress from back in the back in the 50s, right around the same time, you know? Yeah. You know, so as, as Zale was hitting the screen, Grace Kelly was al- already a, like a major movie star. Yes. Hollywood starlet. Uh, the epitome of beauty. Grace Kelly. Oh, yeah. Kelly. Uh, the, just the typical American gorgeous blonde-haired, blue-eyed leading lady yeah but grace kelly didn't do all this cool stuff that's the difference that's a bi- one difference yeah yeah i mean grace kelly you know looked beautiful on the screen as did zale perry but zale perry was actually doing a lot more early on behind the scenes she was like the leading stunt safety diver was working for every motion picture company out in hollywood yeah, it's tough to find uh, acting talent, beautiful looks, and uh, the diving ability for all those diving movies that were coming out. Right, especially back in the 50s. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Mike, good old Mike Nelson, your buddy Lloyd Bridges. Bridges, Kianis Mas Macho. Lloyd Bridges. I, I think uh, Zale Perry <laughs> is Mas, Mas Macho. Negative. No. Zale oh. Perry is She's the one macho. who taught. She taught Lloyd Bridges how to dive, but that's not—it's not macho. He was just a—he was just a handsome, studly man, a right. face and body and look he, and character to, to carry, <laughs> to carry the image of Mike Nelson. He, but he really didn't know anything about diving until Zale taught him. Right, but as far as macho, you see, when you say macho, I think of uh, Harry Backs or something. And if you're saying Zale Perry is. Macho. We're going to have to get her a manscaped unit there. The Lawnmower 4.0. If you don't want to be considered too macho, or if your macho-ness is, is out of control, you might want to consider 
the lawnmower 4.0. He was a leading man back in the time when men were supposed to look manly. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, that hairy, wedge-shaped chest, you know, was, was the look of manliness back in the day. It's not anymore. I think it still is. I think it's still in vogue. If not, it's coming back. There was a period, I think everybody, uh, yeah. There was a period where everybody, you know, all the leading actors needed to look like. <laughs> yeah, Robert something. Pattinson. Robert Pattinson. Not like in the old days when you could look like <laughs> David Hasselhoff. <laughs> do you think uh, Do you think he had to do a little manscaping? Old Lloyd Bridges? No, man, not in uh, not in the fifties. You, uh, you shaved you shaved your face to the to the t shirt line. You groomed your hair to absolute Hollywood perfection, and that's all you did. Yeah, the rest of it was in God's hands. <laughs> DNA, your DNA's hand. This is the the time of scientism. DNA hands, not God. Not like nowadays. Nowadays you're getting the whole you do you're doing the whole job. You're you're weed whacking. You're gonna you're gonna probably pick yourself up a a set of uh new manscaped boxers. Ultra soft premium boxer briefs. Yeah, they got a little uh they got a little jewel pouch nowadays. They didn't have jewel pouches in your in your boxers like they did. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yeah, those those boxers my grandpa was wearing back in the day. They didn't have no jewel pouch back then. Jewel pouch. Whoa, a a jewel pouch. I'm gonna check out my uh, brand new pair of Manscaped boxers on the air. I'm unboxing. Oh, oh did you just get a set? I did. Because when you need a pouch for your jewels, you need to go to the right place. Listen, when when you've been told on numerous occasions you've got like <laughs> emerald balls, <laughs> you got like a like a ruby a ruby ball. You need a little pouch. Yeah, you want to protect it. You want to protect when those you, jewels, baby. When you exfoliate the crops like like diamonds <laughs> diamonds in the rough. To, uh, to clean up that below-the-waist area. You're damn right you want a, a little jewel pouch. I mean, let me ask you a question. Yeah. What's the point? What's the point of uh, putting on that luxurious lather of a prebiotic-infused crop cleanser? If you don't have a nice set of boxers, boxer briefs in particular... What's the point? I'm talking... Anti-chafing, smooth, flat-lock, seamed, moisture-wicking, fabric-cooling, <laughs> satin, jackered, waistbanded boxer briefs. I'm not just talking about some raggedy old Fruit of the Looms here. Look at that. Look, Look at, at that, that jackered waistband you got there, Brandon. <laughs> That's a nice waistband. No, those are high-quality briefs, my friend, for high-quality jewels. For high-quality people like us, For only the best. <laughs> your well-groomed, manscaped jewels, you need the best. Get her over there at uh, manscaped.com, people. Put in the code TGDP. Get your 20% off in free shipping. Tell them old Jamesy and Brando set, yeah? 
your balls a thank you. Damn right, people. Damn it. Now let's get back to good old Zale Perry. You know, I have one of my most prized books in my collection of books is uh, this one here. You're, you know you know this one. The, oh, yes. The classic Brett Gilliam Diving Pioneers and Innovators, which is, uh, I mean, this is like a big classic coffee table style book, hundreds of pages in length, interviewing all the old school top big names in diving. I mean, Bev Morgan, Peter Benchley, Wes Skiles, Dr. Ballard, Ernie Brooks, Al Giddings, Bob Hollis, John Chatterton, Stan Waterman. I mean, a a ton of big names in here. And the book starts off, of course, with none other than the first lady of diving, Zale Perry. Nice. As it should. A lot of these interviews were done back in a day, we should probably let the kids know, where it was normal for a guy to say nice, romantic things about a beautiful lady. It was normal. It's still kind of normal, isn't it? Have we gone so well, far like we can't it, it do is, this now? It's not unnormal, <laughs> but it is, it is often frowned upon if you, if you call a woman a beautiful, pretty woman. You're supposed to talk about her accomplishments not just her beauty well her, her beauty day, is you know an when, accomplishment. Uh, when, when somebody beauty looked, is... looked and said hey you know zale perry you know broke the scuba depth <laughs> record and surface at the same time to become the prettiest woman ever to grace the cover of sports illustrated and and that's frowned upon right now that was in 1954 uh, a time when you know everybody was just gunning for how deep can we go how deep can we go if people you don't remember, you haven't listened, go back to, we did a four-part series about deep air and that push for how deep can we go on scuba. We talked about uh, that dive a little bit back then. But yeah, she she broke the record and then would later hold the woman's record for a much longer time. Pretty impressive. In this interview, it starts off with a little introduction by Al Tillman, who says that, I remember Zale from the very first time I saw her. It was one of her never-ending damsel-in-distress roles as co-star with Lloyd Bridges in the blockbuster television series Sea Hunt that captured the interest of the entire nation and gave a weekly glimpse into the then-foreign world of scuba diving. The series combined underwater action with one of the earliest environmental and conservation themes. It gave Bridges his signature role as Mike Nelson, diver-detective, and Zale became the sex symbol that everyone wanted to give CPR to. Oh, oh, oh. I'd love, I'd love to be able to kiss this unconscious woman with my open mouth. <laughs> you know, back in the day when you could, where, where you could just everyone wanted rescue to a woman her. out of the sea, start groping her chest, looking for her xiphoid <laughs> process. Start thrusting away, giving her giving her mouth to mouth resuscitation that that turns into French kissing and making out on the beach <laughs> as the waves roll roll and start crashing in and, and it turns into you know from a rescue to a scene from here to eternity all in all in uh, one. That's a that's a vivid imagination you have there, James. <laughs> the reality, the like. 
CPR usually results in uh, vomiting and <laughs> not know, arising, arising from consciousness to vomit, and you find this person, you know, trying to lock lips with you. You're like, what the? F-? Not in the fifties, man. Not in, in the fifties. They romanticized when, CPR. <laughs> in the 50s when a man rescued a woman, which is how it was done back then. There's no women rescuing men back in the 50s. God damn. Men rescued women who were struggling in the water, at least on, on screen. Now, but behind were, the scenes, we know that in reality, it was actually Zale rescuing the guys. But, but that's not how they wrote the scripts back then. Oh, yeah. Well, things turned. Eventually, things turned to that famous scene in uh, Stand By Me, where kind of harkens to what you're saying, but reverses the roles. So the kid, the kid would fake like he drowns because the lifeguard was a hot chick, and he was like a 13 year old boy. That was not Stand By Me, though. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? No. What was it? That was, um, I think that was was that the Sandlot. Oh, it was the Sandlot. I confuse those two all the time, too. Fucking, okay. That harkens back to the Sandlot, the movie The Sandlot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the Sandlot, yeah. But that was a pioneering role in changing the rescuer from the man to the woman. Even though the boy was faking it just so he could lock lips with uh, the hot lifeguard chick. But equal... Equal rights making its uh, rearing its head into movies. See, we've come a right, long way, baby. Right. We've Although come a long it, way. In order to do it, us guys had to do a sneaking, conniving. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you cannot escape our nature. We do what we have to do. To one of the books that is not currently in my collection, but uh, I've been looking to get my hands on this book for years, is a book that. Zale put out with Al Tillman called Scuba America, which is another big coffee table book style book that just kind of looks at a, a record of the old history of, of diving. So Brett Gilliam says that I met Zale originally when I was researching my book, Deep Diving. The opening chapter was on the history of deep diving, and I had to track down some images of Zale's record dive. I cornered her at a diving show where I was introduced. She recalled the dive nearly 40 years prior as if it were yesterday and steered me to a source for archived photos. I was struck not only by her keen sense of diving's heritage, but also her striking allure. Years later, when I asked her about being interviewed for this book, she immediately embraced the idea and gave me her fullest cooperation as the long process took place over the course of several months. Brett says that in 2007, she was the MC at uh, Beneath the Seas Saturday evening film program and that she shared the stage with Stan Waterman, Rodney Fox, Ron and Valerie Taylor, John Chatterton, Richie Kohler, Ernie Brooks, and himself. And he says that she brought down the house with a film clip from one of her roles in Sea Hunt. Most of the audience wasn't born back when the program originally aired. But as the black and white footage splashed across the two jumbo screens behind her, 
she held them in the palm of her hand and was greeted with a standing ovation to close the evening. Nice. Yeah, and he says that she was used to that. And the acclaim, he says, was very well deserved. She helped give diving its identity. And she's a pioneer in the truest sense and a grand lady. And I should add, I mean, uh, when you look at how Zale dived and her thoughts on diving, which are, uh, you can get an idea of where her mindset was by a couple things that she said that uh, I think we've said to people, and uh, we should be attributing them to probably to Zale Perry. Did she say, was she the first one to say, don't touch my fucking shit? (laughs) Kind of. Kind of in a way, (laughs) yes. I'm sure she said it. I mean, after you start reading uh, the kind of person she was and how she felt about diving and her uh, abilities, I'm sure she would have said she'd want stickers, these stickers on all of her stuff. But uh, Well, yeah, so, so anyway. spe- speaking of which, we, um, I, I did just send out some more Don't Touch stickers. Okay. I've got some going back to Australia here. I just sent some over to the UK, so nice. Good old, good old Matthew Cohen. Look out for your stickers; they're in an envelope somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean right Whoa. now. Whoa! You never know where these stickers have been, right? But All right, what, but yeah, go ahead. Go I was ahead, just going to say back to to Zale. She said things like, "Here's a quote from her: is, uh, Keep diving and get really good at it. Too many folks try many other activities and don't don't get good at any of them." which is something we talk about a lot as far as getting that practice in. You can't go once or twice a year and expect to be decent at it. And and this is what I think she was trying to get at is to be a good diver, you have to go diving a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love that she's saying you got to get good at it. Mm-hmm. If there's something that you love, you got to get good at it. Not just do it once and wear You're the certified. T-shirt yeah. and, uh, and just talk about it. Right. You know, and that's what she was definitely doing back in the day. I mean, she was living this in and out all day, every day, all yeah. the time, doing it. Yeah. and Which is why she became the go-to. She was the technical advisor on, on Sea Hunt back then. I mean, she was the go-to for answers. Oh, yeah, with her background and her abilities. Also, I mean, she, she says this other thing that uh, – really hits home with some of the stuff that, especially in the early days, uh, when I say early days, I'm talking the early 2000s of like tech diving, where people would try to uh, uh, come up with different equipment to solve skill problems. You know how we say that? Don't don't buy equipment to solve a skill problem, right? Right. Uh, this is, Which this is, is what the whole entire industry has changed to for well, the most part. Bingo, yeah. But uh, she says, and this is a quote, the, perce- the perception is that new equipment can make a diver relatively safe. I know people with the fanciest equipment, including their wristwatch. Uh, great Dive Podcast episode. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> the Great Dive Watch Podcast episode. Exactly. Uh, including their wristwatch, but they are not necessarily good divers. There's a great gap between diver ability and equipment. You can get a really good idea of where her mindset you know, diving is. It, it's like uh, she should be a co-host on this show with us. She could be. She could be. I'd, I'd much. Some mornings, you're a great host, co-host, James. But uh, 
I'm sure you'd probably rather be sitting across from her than uh, my ugly listen, mug. <laughs> I don't. I don't think you're an ugly man by any means, Brando. However, if I had the choice of looking at Zale Perry every morning recording this, or you, I'm, I'd take her. I uh, and likewise. Likewise, don't don't I, don't don't get this wrong. I, don't take it the wrong it, way. It's it's you're not hurting my feelings. I no. totally understand it. And it sounds like she'd be a smarter co-host than than the one you're stuck with right now. <laughs> yeah, I really liked running across these quotes when uh, you know reading a little bit of background on old Miss Perry. Well, you know she was one of the first female scuba instructors. Not the first, right? That was good old Dottie Frazier. Absolutely, who uh, sadly passed away this year. We yeah, lost yep. a good one. Uh, Sad shout out to old, old Dottie. 99 oh, years a, we, old. Yeah, yeah. We just did a nice uh, little episode about her last year. Yeah, I don't think you can talk about either one of these without bringing up both of them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Barbara Allen was the second instructor and then of course uh zale perry became the third female scuba instructor with that los angeles county underwater instructors course that we oh, talked yeah. about in the past as well do you think barbara allen is who the beach boys wrote that song about but they had to change it to barbara ann because the allen part no isn't no i i think there might have been a barbara <laughs> ann actually. no there's only a couple in the state of california <laughs> She was real fine. <laughs> like my 409. <laughs> That's sad. You know how many people will get that? Like six. Six old guys who love the Beach Boys. <laughs> right. Shout out to you, Bob. There you go. OGs. To the OGs. We're digging on the BBs. You know, uh, Zale said that uh, other people that were in her instructor class were the likes of Dick Anderson, Mel Fisher, Bob and Bill Maestral, and it was Al Tillman who was the leader and creator of that L.A. County underwater yeah. course, right? Mm-hmm. In the interview, Brett asks her about some of the test diving that she did. And Zale says, I was associated with the Scientific Underwater Research Enterprises, SURE, S-U-R-E, as it was known, She says, this company had a very competent and experienced diving team, of which I was a member. The team was composed of engineers, geologists, scientists, ichthyologists, water sports experts, and plain old deep sea divers. It was the best group of this type to have been formed thus far. It was the aim of the group to found and develop into practicality a sort of underwriter's approval for underwater equipment. We would test, prove, and submit redesigns for products that were placed on the market for sale to the consumer. We were able to furnish manufacturers with information from practical tests and analysis by people who are not only qualified to dive, but who had the technical range to suggest practical design and redesign. This way, the product would be made safe before a user loses his life finding out or maybe never discovering the weakness or error. You know, so she was right there on the forefront of bringing real practical equipment to the people. 
Oh, absolutely. Making sure uh, it was tested to boot. You know, right? very, yeah, very much different than just being an influencer on the old Instagram and, and getting a free wetsuit to prance around in. I mean, <laughs> she, she wasn't, she wasn't that kind of a female in the, in the industry. I mean, she was one of the, the real divers really putting equipment to the test to see if it could hold up to the standards needed by people that were really in the water diving. So there you go. A true pioneer in diving. I don't know how many divers have made the uh, cover of Sports Illustrated. I don't think very many, but she did. And especially, she did it back in 1955, the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah, I have, um, I have an old classic archive here from that Sports Illustrated that says, Rosalia Zale Perry, one of the world's foremost women skin divers, might never have donned breathing apparatus had she not fallen in love. At 22, good-looking Zale holds the world's skin diving depth record for women, 209 feet. But until she met Perry Bivens, 28, an aeronautical and aquatic engineer, Zale had never thought about the sport. Whoa. So... There, there's something good men did. We got, they, we got uh, Zale Perry involved with scuba diving. He says that uh, her uh, old Perry had been diving since childhood, and Zale took it up to be with him. They met while both were working for Douglas Aircraft in Santa Monica, California, and their first dates occurred six to ten fathoms underwater off Santa Catalina Island. Whoa. Zale took an immediate liking to skin diving. If you know they what quote, I mean. You're supposed to say, her, if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, they quoted her as saying, you get sort of tingly all over and you feel good. You do kind of get tingly all over, don't you? Yeah, a little bit. And that skin diving, and that kind of skin diving, I do. <laughs> well, yeah, so keep in mind, you know, back then, I mean, they're diving off of Catalina Island in bathing suits. And Vaseline. They're all Vaselined up. Yeah, there were. I mean, there were no real exposure protection back in those days, right? You know, they say in this article, they say that, that the after people of the lobs- future will become giant pussies. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, James. They say after hunting lobsters in a comparative shallows for a while, Zale prevailed. Zale prevailed on Perry to teach her the intricacies of deep diving. She spent long hours training in a swimming pool, and in her non-swimming hours, she devoured dozens of books on the perils of nitrogen narcosis, drunkenness of the depths, and embolism in the bends, results of too swift an ascent from great depths. Zale made her successful record attempt last August, deciding to try only the night before. Perry hastily arranged for a tugboat and got the Coast Guard to officiate, and Zale went into the water completely equipped, wearing a swimsuit, three woolen sweaters, long navy underwear, rubber diving suit, swim fins, weight belt, faceplate, and lung. She descended on a marked rope to which was attached at 209 feet a slate and a crayon. Perry accompanied her, pinching her at intervals to make sure she was all right. <laughs> 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 they don't say exactly where he pinched her, but I, uh, judging from the, the, the laugh out loud, I think you got a general idea. 
Zale hit the bottom, spelled Z-A-L-E on a slate with a crayon, and the record was hers. So she gives a really detailed account, Brando. Yeah. In this interview with Brett Gilliam, who asked her about that record dive. What she knocked out of her gourd? Not too bad. Zale remembers this in detail and says, It was on Sunday, the 22nd of August, 1954, at Avalon Bay, Catalina. I set a new world's record for women with a dive to 209 feet, exceeding the old record set by Esther Lawrence at Avalon Bay the same year, beat her by 24 feet. Esther's brother, Bob Lawrence, was attempting deep dives approaching 300 feet during that year. Depth diving seemed to be popular, what with the new diving gear and the guts of the new divers to explore the sea deeper and deeper. But a record was not really the purpose of my dive, she says. Right. What she was really doing was testing out a new mouthpiece. Right. Uh, well, wasn't she working on that, um, that Hope Page non-return valve and that, that special mouthpiece? She says Rory Page was the engineer of the Hope Page non-return valve. Oh, yeah, Rory. He wanted a test on his mouthpiece with a non-return valve design to allow air to enter on an inhale from the right side of a double hose regulator and exit on the exhale that followed without permitting water to enter where we could accidentally breathe or swallow it. This new arrival on the dive market was the true reason for the deep dive to 200 feet. The valve worked. From that day forward, all dive regulator manufacturers changed the mouthpiece design. It was a safety-first, non-return valve that stopped water from entering the breathing hoses. There was no more panic from losing your mouthpiece because the valve allowed replacement and continued breathing with no additional effort. One need not lift the right intake hose, tilt the head, and blow hard to remove any water that entered it. There was no more gurgling from water that had seeped in and around the mouthpiece into the breathing hoses while underwater. That must have been a nice little benefit slash added feature of uh, this little valve. Yeah, because, I mean, remember, like, reading some of that old stuff, you know, from those early manuals. Right. You know, you kind of had to roll your head around to get that water to roll, you know, if that mouthpiece came out of your mouth in order to get that to exit back behind your head. Yeah, that must have uh, must have looked c- cool trying to clear your rag there. She says, Renee Bouzeau, president of U.S. Divers Corporation, who were the makers of the famed Aqualung, furnished us with all the equipment we desired. Of course, all of the regulators had the mouthpiece removed and replaced with the Hope Page valve. No one on the team suffered equipment trouble at any time during the entire dive. The day before the record dive, she says, the entire team made a practice dive to 165 feet. We prepared and coordinated signals and methods to be used They were also smiling and making crazy signs about the slight narcosis they had all experienced. And Zale says, I wasn't having any troubles with narcosis. Narcosis, schmarcosis, I always say. Narcosis was something for the guys to have. (laughs) Their puny little brains. 
not us strong, confident women. There you go. You know, not, I don't have to worry about any narcosis. Boys. Boys will be boys, and they're not giggly boys, and they're narcosis. I'm sure she had to, like, not show any weaknesses. She had to be the, you know, go to the other side of the spectrum with regard to, uh, you know, a male-dominated uh, arena, basically. Diving True. was, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, everything was in the 50s. I mean, I, I couldn't uh, imagine being a woman in these days doing nearly anything, especially... Being a woman, a pioneering woman on the forefront when macho men are, are, are trying to be pioneers and you're going to outperform them right, and, and blow them away. I mean, that's a that's a gutsy woman back in those days. Absolutely. Tough chick. And to be a smoking hot babe at the same time. Watch it. Watch it. I you're said it. a thin I PC line here. <laughs> She says, we gathered together Carl Bailey, who was Mr. Big of KBIG Radio fame, Ensign John Stein of the U.S. Coast Guard, and Bill Gressman, restaurateur of Avalon, as witnesses as we proceeded. Perry, Phil, and Rory prepared the diving course, time, and decompression. Phil moved the vessel that we were diving from out into deeper water while the remaining team members prepared the diving equipment. I rested in one of the top bunks, nurturing menstrual cramps. Perry lowered the diving line and things were beginning to take shape fast. When the witnesses arrived, the diving line was pulled up and examined by them. And after fastening a plastic slate to the bottom of the diving line, it was again put over the side, hand over hand. The team then began to suit up to dive. It's like I'm right there with you. She says, it was decided that Perry and Phil, Perry, her husband, remember? Right. So if your name was Zale Perry and your husband's Perry. Confusing it. Could be I mean, confusing. It, well, it's very true. I want to make sure that people realize I heard because her husband was Perry Bivens. And she was Zale Perry. So when you read a lot of the stuff about those old guys and it says Perry yes. was probably her husband Perry, not her Zale Perry. They would call her Zale. They would generally call her Zale and him Perry. Right. Is how the writing would go. Perry would keep a constant vigilance on me and Phil would guide the other two to the bottom. We would drop one diver at the 100-foot level and another at the 150-foot level, with an extra aqua lung in the event of anyone running into trouble. Rory acted as safety man, not descending below a level where he would be required to decompress, in case he had to ascend in a hurry to secure other equipment or help. This was the dive plan. It's a decent plan. You got, it. You got a traveler there. You got people different depths. Yeah, so, uh, you know, safety divers staged at multiple depths. Her going down to do the big big dive all the way down the line and back. For 1954? Yeah. She says, just before the dive at zero hour, I came out on deck and joined the rest of the team in preparing for the dive. All divers were treated equally. No special treatment. Not even for the test of a new piece of equipment. She says, I wore a swimming suit, 
a suit of long khaki underwear, three sweaters, and a two-piece dry rubber suit made especially for me by Bell Aqua. The dry rubber suit was a free-flowing water outfit. Water entered at the neck, wrists, and ankles and was pushed out by my movements. Yes, of course. I was toasty warm, she says. Which is not what somebody would say in 2022, diving (laughs) Catalina in their dry suit that was leaking at the neck and wrist and ankles, and they were sloshing around, getting it out of the water. They would immediately exit saying how cold and near hypothermic (laughs) they were, that their suit leaked. Hmm. My, how times have changed. Well, they have. We've become a little soft, don't you think? With our heated vests and all of our new state-of-the-art undergarments. You know, when you look back and even say those old crappy thinsulate of the (laughs) olden days, you know, compared to all, all the new stuff that everybody's wearing today. Yeah. She says the entire team then donned their gear, and at 3 p.m., we entered the water. We assembled at the surface and started the dive immediately. The water temperature on top was 68 degrees, and before we had reached the 100-foot level, the water temperature had dropped nearly 16 degrees. As we left the 100-foot level, the water was beginning to get a little dark. On arriving at the bottom... Perry watched me while I signed my name on the slate with the red crayon I had brought with me. Phil picked up a couple of starfish directly below the guideline, and then we started our ascent. They reported the bottom temperature at 50 degrees, an 18-degree drop. Visibility was about like a dimly lit room. It had taken approximately two and a half minutes to make the descent and three and a half minutes to ascend to the first decompression stage. Go on. She says, I wrote on a slate that I was okay, but cold. We were all trying to talk with our hands and eyes. When decompression was over, we exited the water. Everyone was cold, elated, and excited. The dive was complete. The non-return valve mouthpieces worked like a charm. And a new record was set. The total time underwater was 23 minutes. I had a big, satisfied grin on my face. And then a laugh and a wave for everyone. The dive had gone off like clockwork. Everyone had done a perfect job. Nice. Not too shabby. I, I think back then, everybody had an appreciation, maybe a little bit, for getting cold. Uh, you know, as like, far like, as they wouldn't complain about it as much, is that what you're getting at? Or are well, they you know, just, they're uh, all saying that you know we all had fun, we were all cold, we all yeah. had a great time, we we all did what we were going to do. Yeah. Like nowadays, you get cold. It, it, we've we've worked so hard over the last fifty years of improving the suits so much to alleviate the getting cold. Right. Now nobody even has an appreciation for realizing. Dude, you're underwater in cold ass water. You're, <laughs> you're gonna get do. a little. You're gonna get a little cold. I was gonna say, I think we do. I I get cold on our ice dives. <laughs> Come on, when we're teaching up there, 
and you're in the water what? for hours. Yeah, I have appreciation for cold. I no, have well, you, you have to have an appreciation yes. for the cold. You have to know you're going to get cold. But it, it's you're trying to mitigate that as much as possible right. so that you can keep your head clear and you can think and you can work mm-hmm. and you can have, you know, physical dexterity to accomplish what you need to do. But you're going to get cold if you're in cold water. That's the that is the most prolific thing you have said on the Great Dive podcast. <laughs> you're going to get cold if you're in cold water. Yeah, I mean, it's like people ask all the time, like when you talk about diving in the Great Lakes, they go, don't you get cold? Well, well, yeah, you get cold, but but it's not intolerable. It's like if you were going skiing, you're on the top of a mountain in the snow. You're going to be cold, but you're, you're wearing stuff to, to make it comfortable. But you still know that it's cold. Now, she says, interestingly, the group, except me, had experienced slight nitrogen narcosis from 160 feet down. She says they were all very curious about this problem and were preparing to do extensive research to try and analyze it more thoroughly. The intention was to prepare a technical paper on the subject of nitrogen narcosis since we could not find enough subject matter. We wanted to give a good, true picture of what happens. Now, she mentions that doing that world record dive, she said the event changed my life. All it took was three miles offshore of Avalon, Santa Catalina Island with a slight afternoon chop and a dive to 209 feet to a sandy rippled bottom with a strand of bull kelp and one discarded Schlitz beer can. (laughs) From there on, the radio... Television, newspapers, and magazines had agents calling for interviews and fun game shows. It was fantastic to successfully complete an equipment test, but little did I know that my new identity, Girl Skin Diver, as Sports Illustrated called me, would be in prominent demand. The dive shot me into the limelight. At first, she says, this interruption of life was disturbing. Every interviewer didn't know oxygen in the dive tanks would kill after a certain depth. They all misused the nomenclature, and it wasn't always possible to catch the writer before the story went into print. I was teaching diving procedures with each inquirer. After a while, the routine of being questioned in person or over the telephone became a plateau in life that I just accepted. No, but I mean... Even still today, when you talk to oh yeah people talk to a somebody a interviewing non-diver. you yeah a non diver right yeah, exactly everybody just assumes that you're breathing oxygen well but even t- even today you you read an in a magazine article, article on, on, or a, a yeah. newspaper article or television or internet they descended with their oxygen tanks <laughs> no no they didn't yeah so yeah oxygen is is good for decompression during diving up but only in the shallow areas and it's not something you uh use as a a bottom gas but it goes it, it just goes to show that uh, you know how even today you know i mean here we are 70 years later and in many ways diving still very much in its infancy mm. because the major general public 
doesn't. doesn't know how to even understand that you don't have oxygen on your back. Right. Yeah. They just assume they're oxygen. I mean, my mom has listened to me tell diving stories for <laughs> 30, 30 years, them. and she'll probably, <laughs> she probably still thinks I got oxygen on my back. You know? Yeah, he's got those oxygen tanks. <laughs> Honey. Let me make you some breakfast before you take your oxygen tanks on that <laughs> scuba dive you're doing. But uh, yeah, her, um, you know, her husband, you know, old Perry Bivens, kind of encouraged her along the way, and she became a a very famous actress and stunt diver and safety diver, and did the stunts for a lot of people on the shows, and would work with uh, a lot of the diving film underwater greats like good old rico browning and mm-hmm. you know they were they were in in that circle rico you should uh remind our our listeners because not everybody's familiar with the uh creature from the black lagoon then then they should just go to another show god damn it you have uh, high, high standards <laughs> that's a personal insult to me <laughs> Good old Rico Browning, who was the underwater creature from the Creature from the Black Lagoon. And a shout out to good old Ben Chapman, who was the surface creature from the Creature of Black Lagoon. Two, they had two actors play it. Well, you had to. Play the creature. The, the creature was too much for one person. It would have been too much for one person to do. Well, Rico the had the magical movement underwater. He did. Of, of the swimming. Yes. But Ben Chapman was like, Nine feet tall. And so, right. You know, Rico was a little guy, so the, the land, they wanted that creature looking huge you right. know, when he was with uh, with those other actors. And underwater, you're magnified anyway, so, right? It, it, would, it, it stands to reason that you could have a smaller guy do the underwater work. But if you look at the old uh, footage, the, the swimming is, um, is what makes that movie, it makes that creature... Uh, oh yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, the, the, the I mean that's that's what I remember just staring at. It's like, <laughs> I want to be a creature from the Black Lagoon when I grow up, Dad. You'll become a diving instructor and like it. That's how my dad, the cigar in his mouth. So, Zales' cover shot for Sports Illustrated in 1955, Brando. Yeah. May, would would yeah. become the inspiration for the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, which is probably the the main reason that magazine sold for many many decades. <laughs> what are you saying, Brett Astor? Many credit you as the face of a new sport and advancing it beyond the exclusive status as something only for the hardiest macho types. What's your memory of the era? And Zale had told him that women are hardy and in some respects have less back problems than men. We can tolerate pain in greater and longer sessions than men, too. Well, if that's because they're not married st- to, to women. They, <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> she says, if you remember in my story of the record dive... I needed no help to gear up, and I didn't pout or ask for assistance. Enjoy the whole of the sport, she says. Servants do not increase bliss. 
My memory of the era is simply that the sport of diving was for everyone. It is an enhancement of richness for the knowledge of the sea. Nice. Yeah. It's, uh, She's got a good, uh, a good attitude about... Admirable. A- yes. Absolutely. Uh, kind of something you want to emulate. Brett asks her about those early days with television looking for her. Mm-hmm. She says, Jack Douglas Productions presented a television series of adventures. They were Seven League Boots, Golden Voyage, and I Search for Adventure. Jack Douglas had a legendary traveler and underwater pro, Colonel John D. Craig, as his guest presenter often. At a production meeting one day, Jack and Colonel Craig, Jack asked Colonel Craig whether he would like to include a series of his own, and he agreed. And before we knew it, Kingdom of the Sea was conceived. The end of each episode would be a live three-minute demonstration of diving equipment, and they wanted to get some diver to perform in a tank on a live stage set. This was a daunting thought. Who would be the diver with the knowledge and stage presence? The discussion of ideas for demonstrations became more crucial when a name of a skin and scuba diver was not instantly perceived. Now, the publicity director for Jack Douglas Productions was Jerry Ross and my parents' next-door neighbor. He attended this meeting listening to the dilemma, then interjected, the kid next door is swimming and diving all the time, but, you know, it's a girl. (laughs) (laughs) She says that that evening, Jerry told my folks to have me call Jack Douglas the next day. He says... Hey, he needs a diver to perform in a new series. Zale said, so I called and made arrangements to meet after work, thinking it was another one of a string of free appearances. It was my first introduction to Colonel Craig, who became a friend forever with wife Mildred and two gorgeous daughters. Jack Douglas wanted to take me home with him, even though he had a beautiful wife. (laughs) (laughs) I'll bet he did. (laughs) She says, everyone was pleased, and a television contract was drawn, and I signed it without even getting wet. Our first assignment coincided with the opening date of the marine land of the Pacific Oceanarium in Pacific Palisades, California. It was May of 1955, and the television program went underwater. You know, Brett later says that, you know, I remember seeing you in episodes of Sea Hunt, and asked her how she became involved in that. And she was saying that as that kingdom of the sea was coming to an end, there was another film that was out called Underwater Warrior by Ivan Tours. Ivan Tours did a lot of uh, underwater movies. Yeah. Well, Ivan Tours, science fiction based on science, underwater uh, centered kind of thing. It's pretty cool. She says the director, George Wilhelm, told her that they were looking for someone to co-star with Lloyd Bridges. And the new show was going to be called Sea Hunt. And she met Ivan, and he said in his very thick Hungarian accent, she says, Well, you look okay. I want you to do this show. <laughs> Is that your Hungarian 
<laughs> That's my Hungarian. Well, she's they got it spelled out all phonetically here. <laughs> but he also wanted her to help with the technical aspects of the program as well. And at the time, westerns were all the rage on television. And Lloyd Bridges was a aspiring cowboy western right. actor that old Ivan convinced to do Sea Hunt instead. But Sea Hunt, in many ways, was kind of like an underwater western. You know, there's always the bad guys and the good guys. And a lot of the, a lot of the acting just kind of happened down there. They didn't really know what was going to go on because scripting an underwater scene was so difficult back in those days because they, they, everybody was still, in a way, still kind of learning everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and you can't talk or anything down there, so <laughs> it's really critical that you get everything down before you get into the water. She says that during the production of Sea Hunt, I worked in numerous capacities. I performed all of the underwater work and stunts for other actresses and starred in 12 episodes, portraying a variety of characters, both underwater and on the surface, except for the last two months of my pregnancy. Between shootings, I often scouted locations, applied for permits, or did whatever else the script might call for. I often traveled from one location to another since Unit 1 with Lloyd Bridges was in Los Angeles and Unit 2 was on location along the California Channel Islands, Marine Land, or down in Silver Springs, Florida, the Bahamas, or wherever else a scene might dictate. I know what you're all thinking. How was old Lloyd Bridges? Old Lloyd Bridges. And uh, Brett was curious, too. And she says that he was a well-seasoned Shakespearean actor and a true actor's actor, as the industry labels people. He played the stage summer stock whenever he could. Lloyd, bud to his close friends, was a genuine gentleman, handsome, kind, considerate, physically fit and eager to learn to do proper action with his new equipment. After all, he was used to the props of a holster and a pistol and was an excellent swimmer. Diving gear was a lot different. He was a caring family man with sons Bo, Jeff, and daughter Lucinda. Later, Bo and Jeff were placed in the cast for some episodes. Dorothy was the teacher for the children's theatrical prowess and a rock of Gibraltar, beautiful wife. But Brett mentions, you know, he did have to be trained for scuba, right? Yeah, absolutely. And she says, we didn't really have time for that in the beginning. So his training was every day on the set. Although Courtney Brown and I had him in a swimming pool for quick lessons at first, Lloyd was an expert at copying a character and mimicked Courtney's flutter kick to perfection. It wasn't until the end of the series that... Lloyd came to Bob Maestro and told him that he would like to take the full scuba course so that he would be considered a certified diver. Whoa. Which is something that uh, a lot of those, you know, 60s, 70s divers that became certified divers and took their scuba class because they wanted to be like good old Mike Nelson really had <laughs> no idea that... He wasn't even certified yet. No. But 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 the figurehead and, and the the face of learning to scuba dive for so many so many divers. Her husband was a pretty uh pretty smart dude in his own right. Yeah, because he was a 
aeronautical engineer, was Mechanical, it? mechanical, mechanical engineer. Yeah, graduated from Berkeley, but he, um, from what I understand, from what I've read, everyone kind of considered him a brilliant uh, man kind of thing. And um, he went He went and uh, completed a medical degree, and then he went back and he got a, a structural engineering degree from Berkeley. And so he, they started doing research with uh, chambers, developing uh, decompression chambers. And the research, they started working with um, mind-altering drugs to help uh, people with schizophrenia and at the time alcoholism, which I found that was pretty interesting. So she was involved with that with her husband. Right, and they were, and they were designing basically recompression chambers exactly like for for everybody to have like anybody who's a diver has got a boat you should have a one of these recompression chambers on your boat kind of oh yeah the navy heard about about their work and contacted them and started uh you know seeing what they could do for the navy and that's the experimental dive unit and uh, the big wings from dc the u.s atomic energy commission had interest in them yeah, pretty interesting stuff. The more you delve into her uh, her work, he, it's involved not just acting and diving, but um, all kinds of stuff. It is interesting because, I mean, it's... Uh... I, I, to me, it just kind of shows the breadth of her work. Uh, it wasn't just being in front of a camera and being able to dive well. Um, she was uh, very actively involved in research, equipment development, the medical research, as we pointed out, uh, with her husband, who, you know, like I say, was a physician and surgeon as well. So, you know, she never used the stunt double. She was the stunt double. She was the stunt double for, for all the other characters right. in, in the water. Yeah, yeah. Why would you get another stunt double to and be she, uh, your she stunt took- yeah, she was one of those actresses that you know, took pride in doing all of her own stunt work. Right. You know, and Brett asked her what her hardest role was, and she said that none of them were too difficult. Although, she says, I do remember playing one of the damsels in distress and had to roll around in the surf and being tossed around by the waves. She says uh, that was a little scary because you could easily lose control. He asked her if uh, what her favorite role was, and she, she couldn't even really put a, a favorite. She said they were all favorites. You know, she was going to work each day having fun and getting paid to do it. Brett asked her if she had any close calls, and she said, maybe one when I wanted to make a free ascent during a scene because the regulator was feeding water instead of air. Lamar held me in position by the strap of my swimsuit, and another regulator was given me to breathe air instead of water. But yeah, so later on, she'd uh, move into doing a lot of journalistic work, and she would later put out that book, Scuba America, with Al Tillman. And at the time of this article, or this interview, Brett had asked her, do you still dive? And she says, of course. Diving is like bicycling. My next outing is in July of 2007 on the Nautilus Explorer on a dive trip through the Alaskan Straits where the cruise ships cannot squeeze through the narrow passages. Then in October, 
I'm off for a caged great white shark adventure in Guadalupe Island. Living the life, baby. Living the life. So, yeah, I mean, this is a, a great article and interview that you can check out if you've got the book, Diving Pioneers and Innovators. It has a series of in-depth interviews from a lot of the diving greats. You could also find a lot of this interview on the TDISDI.com website. Um, they've reprinted and rewrote up a bunch of these. I think it's edited a little bit, but uh, they've got them reprinted in there. You can find yeah. the Zale Perry First Lady of Diving one in there if you want to read through more of this. We just kind of pop through a little bit. I mean, the, the interview is very extensive and would take multiple, multiple episodes to go through this whole entire thing. But, hey, in honor of International Women's Dive Day coming up Saturday, um, I thought it was fun to have a little visit with the lovely First Lady of Diving. I said it. You did say the it. The lovely Zale Perry. The hot, the hot Zale Perry. You're not going to say that. She's hot. She was a she was a hot little number. She's a hottie. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think she and she's a cougar. Wow. Nowadays, nowadays wow. she's a, definitely a cougar. <laughs> yeah. so Whenever you say you go, cougar, Zale you have Perry. to say wow. Well, should we uh, close it out? I think we do have to close Speaking it out. This was, was a, a nice little delve into or dive into um, a little bit of what Zale Perry did and. Uh, being that she's such a huge influence, uh, I think it's fitting that we've we covered it. And um, but yeah, let's close it up. Yeah, so definitely one of diving greats. So shout out to Zale Perry out there. Uh, hope you guys enjoying this. Hope you're gonna get out there and do some diving for International Women's Dive Day. And hey, who are your female woman diving greats that we didn't talk about that we should in the future? Let us know. Who do you look up to out there? I think we should dress up as women and go diving on Saturday. And again. In honor. In again. honor. <laughs> again. <laughs> exactly. All right. Sounds uh, good. I, I didn't think I was ever going to have a chance to wear this bikini, <laughs> but now uh, now I do. You're going to be Janie and I'll be uh, Brandy. Bra- Janie and Brandy. Brandy heading Brandy out for Janie. the uh, dive uh, in honor of Women's Dive Day. All right, we'll see you at the water, people. On that note, we'll talk to you next week. Same bottom time, same bikini bottom. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. All right, shout out to Zale Perry. We will see you guys next week.